Are you ready? Ready to release internal pain? To find confidence, clarity, and direction for your future? To live a life of meaning, fulfillment, and contribution? To trust your intuition again, but something's been holding you back? You've come to the right place. Welcome. I'm Ian Hawkins, the host and founder of the Grief Code podcast. Together, let's heal your unresolved or unknown grief by unlocking your grief code. As you tune in to each episode, you will receive insight into your own grief, how to eliminate it and what to do next. Before we start, I have one request. If any new insights or awareness land with you during this episode, please send me an email at info at ianhawkinscoaching.com and let me know what you found. I know the power of this work and I love to hear the impact these conversations have. Okay, let's get into it. G'day everyone and welcome to this week's guest, Richard Burton. How are you, Rich? I'm great, Ian. Excited to be with you. Thank you. Great. I'm excited to chat too. Mm-hmm. Uh, I noticed uh, some, we have some mutual friends and uh, some of them have made comments and they're looking forward to this as well, which is, yeah. which is great. <laughs> yeah, it is exciting. So it's great. I was trying to think about when we, we first connected. I, I was still at corporate. You were... Uh, you were already well into your business by then. I'm yeah, trying to think exactly. who connected us, and it might have been uh, Maxie, who I interviewed a few weeks ago, that actually put me in contact with you, was it? Yeah, yeah. It was it was Neil Maxwell, and um, uh, that was a great episode too that you guys had together. So um, well done on that. Yeah, yeah okay. um, Maxie set the two of us up for a coffee, and you were at an interesting stage, and, and clearly you had a purpose bigger than where you were, and... and uh, well done, mate, and everything you've done to help other people. It's been watching your journey and it's um, inspirational. It's great. Cheers, mate. I appreciate that. And I still remember those days and I actually reference, I reference what you taught me in that time quite often and it was such an eye-opener. And I know we use, we both use different tools around helping people with their own personal strength and, and value and, and in a zone, which we'll come more to. Um, but, yeah, just, just knowing those key things one from how i actually get the best out of myself but the biggest eye opener was how those strengths in adverted commas actually play out as weaknesses and uh, that mm-hmm. gallup strength find is so powerful and the, the one that comes to mind is the maximizer i think that's my mm-hmm. one or my two and a realization and i've realized this more and more since we did that session was my need to have things better all the time means that there are, there are times where I can get caught in like not satisfied and, and not being satisfied isn't the, isn't the worst thing, but just being able to relax and go, no, it's just how it is. Like it doesn't have to be made any better um, yeah. and how much I'd been caught in that pattern for so many years. So I'd, I'd love to just hear more about from your perspective, the work that you do yep, and how you help people and then, We'll get into after that talking more about the zone. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, inner zone is is the coaching practice um, that I have. Uh, it started in two thousand and ten. Um, so, I, I help people in three areas. Um, firstly, is is career and helping people to decide what they want to do. That's that's really the crux of it. So, I help people who have lost their jobs. So, I do a lot of redundancy work. So, people that have lost their job, no fault of their own. Um, 
and uh, to you know, I coach them through that period to to decide what they want to do next and to secure their next role. Also, people who are lost in their career, they've got a career, but they're lost. You know, they they don't know what else to do. They're not really happy with it. Um, they're stuck, if you like. Uh, and also, young people at in high school or just leaving high school, where they're lost as to where should they head in their lives. So that's the career piece. Um, I also help leaders. Leadership can be a very lonely place and very challenging um, uh, role. So yeah. I help, help leaders. Um, so that's you'd call it executive coaching, I suppose. Um, so leadership, um, and they're also in teams, helping teams to to gel better um, and really unlock the potential of the of the team. So they're the three areas that the business focuses on. Um, yeah. But the career, the career piece, I think, is is a real passion, mainly because of my own journey uh, to start my career all over again um, in the late thirties. Yeah, and uh, the the journey that we've been on ourselves, not only is it the easiest thing to show other people because we've lived it, but there's a passion because we know those moments where we didn't have support, we didn't have guidance, and and that's why mm. I'm so appreciative in my journey for people like yourself who popped up. At just the right time to to point me in, yeah, the right direction of whatever I needed next. So, I imagine from all of that, there's your own journey, but the leadership and team. A lot of that would have come from what you've learned in corporate, but also from your sporting background. Yeah, well, the, I've been very fortunate that sport and mainly cricket for a good, uh, you know, seventeen years when I was playing in the what they call Premier League now. Um, it taught me so much about culture and, you know, team and values and, and performance and preparation, all those sort of things. And then in business, um, you know, as a, I was given opportunities at AMP at a young age to, to lead uh, teams and they were kind of running in parallel and I was kind of thinking, what can I learn from, from sport and apply it into business and then what can I apply back um, when I went back as a head coach of the the Tigers Premier League club um, after I um, resigned from my position in corporate in, in 2010. So, yeah, they've been a real constants and, and I've learnt from both um, fields, if you like, and that teamwork definitely, the, the sporting, I mean, people love sporting analogies, but it's been a great teacher for me, uh, the sporting field. Yeah, awesome. And then if we talk more in depth around the inner zone and how you help people find that, was the fascination already there from a sporting background because you'd had a taste of it or did you then join that link after you found this concept of finding it in the, in the business perspective and then work your way back into how that made sense because of your sporting background? Well, um, do you want me to talk about the inner zone and how I discovered it? Is that... Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Well, so I mean, I think with with sport, um, I spent a lot of time in in my cricketing journey uh, trying to prove myself and, and work really hard to stay in first grade and those those sort of things. Um, and but there was one moment. It was in two thousand and four where you know I'd had a really average season in fact you know we were coming up to the semi-final it was a match at Waverley Oval against Eastern Suburbs and I tried to get dropped 
<laughs> you know, my form was that bad. I'm ringing, and we, and we were due to have our first baby, um, Josie, any moment. Um, so I was kind of like using that as an excuse, you know, oh, I think I'm going to have the baby. I'm ringing my captain, and he said, no, no, we, we want you to play. My wife's saying, it's not going to happen this weekend, just play. So you've got to sit in for an out. Yeah. So, I mean, that's an indication of where I was at psych, um, yeah. from a psych point of view. So um, we arrive at the Oval, we win the toss and bat, and I'm an all-rounder. I open the bowling but and I bat seven or eight. So I've got a job to do with the bat. But, yeah, my form was, was horrific leading up to that day. So we win the toss. I'm sitting in the grandstand with a cup of tea and my socks thinking, I hope I don't have nothing to do with today. You know, I hope the boys have an awesome day, but I'm not feeling great, not playing well. Anyway, so 10 or 15 minutes go by and there's a few runs, but it's pretty uneventful. And then there's a wicket and then the next batsman goes out, another wicket, and I'm going, oh, okay. And then there's another wicket. And so I'm shifting in my chair because in three wickets time, I'm in. And then the next guy gets out. And so I drop the cup of tea and I run to the dressing room to get changed and I'm looking for clothes and all that sort of stuff and, and then I can hear another wicket's gone and one more wicket and I'm in and I just have enough time to get the helmet on and everything else and I hear the how's that yes so I walk on the field um, from the darkness of the change room straight out onto the field and I'm look, I look up at the scoreboard and it says six for 14 wow. and the game's pretty much over and you know, this strange sense of calm just came over me. Like, oh. it doesn't really, it doesn't really matter. Um, you know, all the great batsmen have tried, and so the pressure's off me. And yeah. so I was at the non-striker's end, and this very tall West Indian bowler was bowling, and I was seeing the ball rise up to the keeper's gloves, thinking, "Oh, this is going to be very interesting." <laughs> <laughs> and um, I'll never forget the, the mid-pitch discussion after the end of that over. And the, we had a young debutante at the other end, uh, Timmy Spark. He was from the country and, and he's saying, you know, Birdo, Birdo, we're six or four to and the semifinal. This is, this is tragic. What are we going to do? And I said, uh, I don't know what divine inspiration was coming through me. I said, well, don't look at the scoreboard because that doesn't matter. Right? We know that's bad. So that's, take that distraction out of it. You know, the ball's moving around a bit, so let's try and get behind the ball. That's all we need to do. And, and the other thing, mate, is let's enjoy ourselves. You know, this is a semi-final, And so that's what we did. And I didn't know it at the time, but <clears throat> by removing the distraction, focusing on a challenge, which was to get behind the ball, everything just went away. And the two of us were in this amazing uh, this zone and, you know, the matrix where you can see the bullet in slow motion, you know, it was like that. It was just so weird. Anyway, we batted for the next four or five hours and we, we turned the whole game around. We ended up declaring um, later in the day and we actually had the upper hand. And the next day we, we won that game. And so, for, for you know, I, for years I looked back at that and just was thinking, how can I be so average and then have this moment of where my real potential came out. And, you know, um, it was a breakthrough moment. And I looked back on, on that and thought, well, if that's my potential, where else in my life am I not hitting my potential? And 
also discovered that that this state that we were in is actually a thing called flow. Um, the zone is real, and and so um, I looked at it and thought, well, where else can I use it? And down the track further, you know, I use it to to change my career, and and now it's fundamentally. Keep talking. I'm just going to take this dog outside. <laughs> no worries. Welcome to Ian's podcast, by the way. Um, <clears throat> so um, uh, I've really used that state, and that moment was such an, an amazing uh, informer of things. And, yeah, um, it, it was a great le- great teacher. And, you know, helping people now when one of the key questions I do ask is, is what gets you in the zone? How can... What is your potential in those moments when you're in flow um, really reveal that? So welcome back, mate, to your show. Thanks, mate. Appreciate it. <laughs> uh, I was just sharing before he came on, he's had an upset stomach and uh, he was looking uh, or whatever he was had going on was making me nervous and I'm like, that's not what I need on a live We are live, by the way. <laughs> him outside, yeah, you wouldn't want to have smell of vision, that's for sure. If he's outside, yeah. then there might be some noise, but at least then I have to deal with that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so so I got just uh, goosebumps through that whole that whole part of the story where you were talking about just the sense of calm, and and we'll come back to this, but I, I was drawn on um, this is happening before you've you've found faith in your Christianity later on down the yeah. track. But you said, oh, yep. well, you don't know what diet, divine in, intervention, but it's like it's those moments where we're connecting to something bigger than us that that come through us, that flow mm. through us, that, yeah, they're just magical. And yeah. um, the the other part that I'd love to hear from you is um, you basically detach from the outcome. Yes. And you said, we're not going to worry about that. And it's amazing how often, particularly people in their career, or at whatever they're doing, they're so focused on the outcome that they lose yep. focus on what's most important. So how, I'd love to hear about, yeah, the importance of that part of it when you're mm. helping people find that zone. <clears throat> yeah, well, it's kind of ironic, isn't it, that we have goals. You know, we all encourage people to have goals and, and aspire, but, um, you know, the, the Ash Bardies of the world, they, they've got these coaches that help, our, help them to detach from the outcome. To, and what it really is about is to be so present and focused on, you know, what's actually going on in the moment and forgetting and releasing all the things that you can't control. I mean, ultimately, the scoreboard will look after itself. But the more you focus on the scoreboard, the more pressure and stress and, you know, comes on. So, um, and for, for, you know, we all want to perform in our careers. We all want to do well. And yet the irony is, okay, so you've actually got to detach from the outcome and you've got to be you. You know, you've got to focus in the moment and to relax, let everything else go and to trust your instincts uh, and to be completely, what would people would say, authentic. Um, and so <clears throat> it, it, it's quite ironic, but it really is about being so present, uh, focused on the conversation you're having or the whatever it is at work to get really deep and and the state of flow is your you know you fundamentally it's a psychological state where you feel your best and perform your best 
Okay. Yeah. And so, and it's, it's um, all over the world. Everyone can experience it. And, you know, I, I love asking these questions in coaching and, and I'm working with some designers at the moment, architects. And I'll, I'll ask them questions like, you know, when, when are you in flow? And they'll be like, I'm designing something and I can see it, you know, and they're doing this with their finger. And I'm like, what can you see? And they're just like, oh, in the moment I can actually, the design looks like it's 3D. Or people, you know, when I say, well, how do you use your talent of, uh, in the strengths finder, futuristic, for example? And they'll say, well, I suppose, how do I do it? I, I actually can go into the future, I think. Yeah, that's what I do. So people actually aren't connected with their greatest abilities. First of all, you've got to name them. Uh, you know, actually, what, what are those abilities? And yeah. then intentionally use them um, in an activity. So go into the future. Next, next meeting you've got with your marketing team, you know, really create some space where you can go into the future, have that discussion. But remember one thing, that your team can't see what you see. Yeah. So you're going to have to explain that to them. I know this sounds freaky, but that's what the area of, we're talking about detaching from the outcome, but really trusting and focusing on what you do well and can contribute in the moment. Um, it doesn't matter if you're a, you're a secretary or a cleaner or a CEO or a sports person, it's the same, you know, really um, focusing on, on what you can bring. Yeah. And, and from my experience, and this was true for me too, is that the thing that we do well just comes so effortlessly to us that we don't even see it as valuable and we just assume everyone can do yes. it. And when we realise exactly what you pointed out is like, no, no, the rest of your team aren't seeing that. It's a game changer <laughs> because that's when people start to see their own value, right? Totally. So true, Ian. Yeah, it's so natural to us. It's, it's, um, I've heard it described as like the lens on your eyeball. You know, it's there but you've been looking through it all the time and you don't actually appreciate that it's there. Yeah. Um, you think everyone else has got it. It's so effortless that you think, oh, that's, that's nothing. Um, yeah, just what I do. You know, yeah. yeah. So whenever I, whenever I see this, you know, I think, okay, we're in the realm of talent here. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, so, so getting people to um, appreciate their talents, understand them and bring them to life is, you know, that's, that's my purpose. That's, that's what I love to do. Beautiful. Yeah, I feel that. So that was a big life-changing moment, having that moment in sport. But what was the, the moment that changed everything for your entire life? Well, um, well, I think, you know, there's that, that journey. As a, I, I had a great childhood. I had a great childhood, happy family, um, great opportunities. Mum and dad were teachers, gave us, gave us some um, opportunities for private schooling and, and, you know, that was fantastic. And, you know, leaving, leaving high school, um, you know, uh, embarrassing moment was, was mum filling out my uni application form because I threw a tantrum and said, well, how do you work out what you want to do with your life? Seriously, you know, what, how do you work that out? The UAC book's this big. I don't know what I'm <laughs> going to do. Hand it over to mum. And, oh, sorry, I'll answer the question in, in a roundabout way if I can, Ian. But, yeah. but so mum fills out the uni application form, I'm into property, fall into property, um, office leasing, a few years later uh, with AMP, leading teams, et cetera. 
And 17 years later, I'm, I'm, you know, really in a, in a very senior role um, with a whole heap of pressure and desperately unhappy. Yeah. And outwardly successful reporting to boards and, and all, you know, all that's big office, but desperately unhappy and feeling stuck because the organisation is saying, what do you want to do with your life? Where, where are you going next? And I'm saying, well, I, I have no idea. I didn't ask, I didn't answer that question 17 years ago when mum filled out the form and I still don't know. GFC happens, um, sacking people and my satisfaction with, you know, uh, career was, you know, really, really bad. I remember one, one morning sitting, Monday morning sitting on the edge of the bed just thinking, I can't do this, I can't do this anymore. Um, woken up by the um, garbage trucks on a Monday morning. And so like a big life changer was, was knowing that, you know, gee, I feel shame at the age of 37, I should have this sorted, you know. Um, I've got two kids, you know, we're, we're, we're playing a real game here and, and I just felt really ashamed that I hadn't sorted that. So much so that I, I couldn't talk to my wife. I felt I couldn't talk to my wife about it. Um, and so, you know, I thought, oh, I'll take four weeks off and that'll fix it and I'll, um, I'll sort it all out in four weeks. And, um, you know, a real defining moment was when I hadn't sorted it in four weeks. I'm going back to work and my daughter stops me at the door before I leave. She's only four years old. And she's saying, why are you going back to work? And I said, I have to go back and get money. And that's like one of those movies where the echo just sort of keeps echoing, you know. And I thought, what a poor example to my kids that is. And so I, at that moment, I said, oh, I'm going to be open. I'm going to be honest. I'm going to tell my wife where, how I'm feeling. I'm going to deal with this shame. And my wife's, you know, uh, Tam, the greatest blessing she gave me was, you know, just quit. You know, who said you have to be the provider? Who said you have to be all this that you're putting on your shoulders? Just quit and we'll work it out. Um, and with that blessing, I, I did. And that changed changed my life um, big time because we, with some time out and some distance, I, I got a coach, mentor. Um, I was working through, you know, what faith looks like for me as well. Uh, all these things, when, when, the, when you're really faced with a time of significant shift or change, um, amazing things happen. And I, I remember writing a life purpose statement after doing inner work. And, um, and that was all about helping people. It was about helping people to bring their talents to life so they can live out their potential. And that headed me in a new direction. Um, and that was 2010. And every day since is, is following that purpose. And I, you know, I, I don't think I've worked ever since. This is, it, it's, you know, it's a, what I'm passionate about. I love it. Um, I can't learn enough about it. You know, I'm just reading and listening to podcasts and like I'm just a sponge of, of how do you help people to realise their potential. So I think, look, there's, there's, that's probably the life-changing moment is that the gift that, that Tam gave me to just quit, um, to deal with shame, to really work out where am I going with life, um, what's most important, what is purpose for me, 
and then trying to help, you know, commit the rest of life to helping others to find the same. Magic. Um, if it's okay, can we dig a bit deeper more there? Because uh, that yeah. concept of shame is a, is a really massive part of grief and particularly recovering from grief. Mm-hmm. And I'll, I'll ask you more about this as we, as we go around, you know, how you're helping people and how you would be able to identify that and other people who have either, you know, made be my redundant or looking to change. Mm. So what was that like? Like how, how long were you in that place where you were just like in that hole and, and, and how did you deal with it? I was in it for probably around 12 months and it just felt like I was going deeper and deeper into this cavern that um, I, couldn't, or my, I couldn't come out of, you know, um, that, uh, you know, I'm too far deep now, uh, you know, to, to actually speak to my wife about it. I've got to sort this myself. I've had a couple of instances, and I think um, maybe that's a male thing. Yeah. Um, what was it like? Um, it was Sunday night, dreading going to work. Um, dreading what's going to come at me this week. Um, how many presentations do I have to give? How many things? Like I, I was leaving home at five and in the morning and coming home sort of 7.30 and then starting my work because everything was meetings and, and dealing with with um, stuff. So, um, yeah, I, I'd say 12, 12 months at least um, in that place and um, but I think what helped and, and hopefully this this helps people out there that might be in the same spot is to stop and whilst I took four weeks off and that's not going to solve everything at least I did stop to go what's going on here I need some distance I need to think about this I need to think about how I'm handling this um, and you know, um, you know what I should have done is is be open and honest a lot earlier, and that's that vulnerability piece to to go. You know, I don't have it all sorted, and it's okay. And it's one of the things I, I say to people, particularly in career change. You know, when you're speaking to people after you've lost your job, you know you won't have the answers, and you just say that. You just say, look, I, I don't know what's next for me, and that's okay. Yeah. Um, and yeah, um, after I quit quit my job, I had a lot of shame around you know, dropping kids to the school gate. People are, don't ask me the question, what am I doing? How come you're off, Richard? And all those questions are coming. I even dreaded going to like friends' places because they were always, what are you doing, Richard? You know, you, you, you quit. why did you quit? What, what's going on with you? You know, I'd be like, going, you know. <laughs> um, and so I, I just stopped that by saying, I don't know what I'm doing next, but I, I tell you one thing, um, I'm going to learn what I'm good at, what I'm passionate about and what gives me purpose. That's what I'm going to do. And they, everything changed. People were like, really? That sounds awesome. Do you know, you should think about, so that vulnerability, the more open I was that I don't have the answers, the more answers were coming to me. Um, Brilliant. And you know, looking back, I should have been more vulnerable a lot earlier um, because 
let's face it, none of us have it all together. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, I've said that so many times interviewing people. It's like you said it before. It's like um, that shame around, oh, I should have it all sorted. Like I've thought it. I've helped so many different people and they said the same thing. And I'm like, none of us do. Like we're, no. we're always just unpacking whatever the next thing is that we need to peel away or, or trying to work out whatever the next the next thing is for us and, and that's okay you, you you touched on something that's really powerful and well there's a few things but realizing that eventually even though it got darker and darker like you knew you just had to speak up and things weren't okay now a blessing for you that your wife was so understanding and i think if you're a if you're a uh, husband and you're going through this and you're feeling the real pressure around being the provider and the rock it's okay actually for you to be human occasionally and, and admit that, that things aren't going 100%. And then also the space that your wife created, being able to give that safe place for your husband in, is massive. And so Absolutely. what a blessing for your life to be able to, to get to that point. It only came though when you had the courage to be able to speak up. Yes, that's right. So yep. what did you learn about yourself through all of that, given that mm. you had to go through such a dark time to come out that other side? Mm. Well, it's, it's to, be, to be more open, to be vulnerable, to, um, you know, you talked about maximizer. I've got maximizer in my top five as well from a strengths point of view. And for people who don't know, the, the maximizer talent is you always want to be better. You... you and but but also you want things to be if you overuse it you want perfection and yeah you know you want the perfect performance yeah <laughs> you want you want the perfect and so you want to be you know and I've done this I want to be seen as perfect you know um, unconsciously I think that's driven me and when what I learn about myself is I'm far from perfect um, I'm imperfect and the sooner that I can be you know, accept that and reveal that to people um, just takes the pressure off me, but it deepens relationships. Um, just great things happen. So that I, I learnt that, but, you know, I still have to remind myself, you know, you've, you're doing it again, you know, just be open about it and tell the yeah. truth. Um, yeah. You haven't got it sorted. Uh, it's okay to say I, I'm not sure what the answer is to that. Uh, I'm working through it. And, um, you know, so that's, that's a continual learning. Love that. And I'm sure everyone listening at some point has got stuck in that perfectionism space and, and, and it's similar to what you said there about finding the zone. When you take the pressure off and stop trying to be perfect and just detach from that outcome, it's amazing. Yeah, and be honest about that. It's amazing right. what unfolds. So you mentioned there a word, uh, truth, right? So... Mm -hmm. From my experience with you and just from listening to your talk now is that that's a big part of your life it's it's what you deliver it's also from an energy perspective it, it comes out of you before you even speak so there's a there's a a calm and an easiness and i felt that from the moment i connected with you uh back in that cafe in the city back in that day so what does truth mean to you from that personal perspective and then if you can elaborate further from that faith perspective 
mm. from your uh, spiritual beliefs as well. <clears throat> yeah. Well, I'll probably answer it um, with the last bit first, that, that um, you know, coming to a, a a position on on faith was really driven by you know we had our first child Josie, um, which you know the miracle of that just blows your mind, doesn't it? I mean, it, it's, yes, yeah, you know, um, and so when the eyes look at you when birth told baby, you just it's hard to describe, but there's there's new levels of uh, responsibility that that come with that, and one of the things that that Tam and I were, were um, talking about is what happens when she asks, you know, is there a God? You know, why am I here? Some of those questions. And whilst I went to an um, Anglican Christian school, none, none of it really meant much to me. And so I was on a quest for truth. I wanted to know, um, well, is it really true? And so... Um, Maxie, Rach, Rach Maxwell and uh, Ian Maxwell, Neil, Neil Maxwell um, introduced us to uh, a guy called Phil Wheeler who was Christchurch minister, busy guy, amazing, amazing person. He became a mentor. What he did for Tam and I was come to our house every week and go through a course and we treated it like a little mini uni course. Yeah. Yes, yes. Is this really true? Asking, I, I think I broke the record for the dumbest questions ever asked. But, um, <laughs> yeah. And like, he's like, didn't you go to a Christian school? Yeah, I know. I know I did, but, you know, I need to ask this. Um, and uh, it was it was a search for, for truth. And I became convinced that it is true. And, um, you know, so what is truth? Um, you know, truth is it's it's undeniable. The evidence is there. Uh, you know, it's proven beyond uh, any shadow of a doubt. It's just raw truth. Um, and in my own life, you're asking me what what truth is, and and with vulnerability, it, truth is just to call it as it is. The the honest, raw, um, the state of the the nation kind of it's this. Um, I'm broken, or I'm this. Um, to just tell it really raw, you know, to me that truth, and that that's the journey that um, that really uh, being, became being a father and a parent um, really set us on. And you know, for me, faith didn't come from a bolt of lightning. It was a journey, and it, and it's a continual journey to, of learning, deepening faith, and and a relationship with God that that continues to this day. But um, you know, it's it's uh, wasn't a bolt of lightning for me. Okay, so not a bolt of lightning, but but have there been moments of like you you mentioned the miracle of childbirth and and having children, creation? Have mm. there been other moments? And and I'll I'll use it through this lens. That moment when you discussed that that uh, game when you're playing cricket. Where you you know so you're not sure what came over you, over you. To me, like I see that and feel that as confirmation of the higher power. However you want to look at it, like whatever you know, religious or spiritual or non way you look at it, like mm-hmm. it, there's something beyond us that that yeah. sends us messages. So, what moments have you had through your time? Mm-hmm 
maybe maybe looking back in retrospectively before you made that commitment to Christianity or mm. or since then that have really reaffirmed that truth and that yeah. faith. Yeah, look, I, I believe what you're saying because that moment on the sporting field, you look, it's a game of cricket. It's not, not the end of the world. But because it's defined so much of my life, yeah, uh, I can see the fingerprints on it, you know. Um, yeah. The, the moments my career was heading in, you know, it was I wasn't questioning my career. There was all the, you know, the good stuff. If it wasn't for GFC and hard times, I wouldn't have. And I believe that all that happened for a reason, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and since then, you know, what do I do from, you know, writing a purpose statement to be guided almost daily to, you know, meeting different people, um, the, the business itself, there, there are things that have happened in the business um, just when I need them to happen. You know, running your own business, there's no certainty of cash flow and things are getting tight and, and you know, um, what am I going to do next? And, and then a door opens and, oh, okay. You know, I shouldn't have, have questioned, um, you know, I shouldn't have questioned that. There's so many moments I, I don't, I, I couldn't tell you, um, uh, there's just so many. It's a relationship and it's ongoing. But, yeah, I can see the signs. I can see why certain things happened, you know, that I'm here for a reason. I'm, I'm doing, I feel I am on purpose helping people. Uh, back there I wasn't and, therefore, I had to have a mini crisis to move me to somewhere that, um, uh, you know, really where, where God wanted me to be. That's what I believe. Yeah, it's a great point. And I wonder how many people have their moment of crisis and, and see it as such a negative and they can feel like it. It's just remembering that. And like for me, every time there's a something that presents itself that's a challenge or when things slow down or you feel like you're going backwards, it's always just remembering, well, it's going to pass. And on the other side of this will be something, something better as long as you keep moving forward. And I, I think knowing what you know now, that makes it so much easier to navigate, right? Yeah. Uh, and redundancy is a great one because, you know, I literally have been in a room where they've just been given the news and then they come in and see me and there's tears and there's – and I do, I do say that. On the other side of this, you know, just, just hear some of these things. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be walking you through this journey. Um, and there is something on the other side of it. We don't know what it is, uh, but it, but it's going to be it's going to be important and it's going to be good. And um, you know that that it's a magical time. And and I love being there with people. I actually the emotion of it um, is strangely. Uh, I mean, privileged. I, I feel privileged to be there, but I'm excited to be there. And the fact that there's a lot of emotion is like. Yeah, I'm I'm really loving being with this person at the moment, which is kind of strange, but um, yeah, special. Well, you know what's coming for them. I, I get that as well. It's like even through those moments, and I, I'm pretty sure we talked about this before. You may have even said it to me that that how many people say after the redundancy and they are able to progress to something new, they realize it was actually the best thing that ever happened to them. And yeah. every single person I've spoken to since then, in the time maybe not, and I've just reminded them of your words, and it's mm -hmm. been my experience too, is like 
just get through this, get through this. And at some point that's, mm. that's, you will see that that to be true as well. Yeah. So my question for you is something that is also something that's come up for people around redundancy. Even for me, I took a voluntary redundancy and it still came up was that sense mm. of rejection that, yep. well, they don't need me anymore. And even for me, even though I was choosing to go, there was still part of me like, oh, they kind of left me leave pretty easily. So, so is that something you experienced when you were leaving? But more so, like, what's how do you guide people through that when, when that's something that I imagine comes up for a lot of them as well? Mm. Um, was it some? I mean, I think that, and your your point around grief, this is any significant change has that, doesn't it? It has the. Yeah. The shock then you know and all the different stages and i think part of that questioning is well you know wasn't i good you know why would they let me go you know what about me kind of thing yeah um and yes to to um i mean my own i was just excited about the quest forward i was just you know this is exciting i don't know what i'm going to discover i was really driven by that um and yeah, I mean, someone said to me, when you finish up, finish well, you know, leave, actually physically leave the building with your head held high, knowing that you've contributed everything you could and be happy with that and don't yeah. look back. And, and, you know, that I remember, I remember doing that and going, yeah, I, f- I feel good about what I've given. Um, and so, you know, helping people uh, who are experiencing the same, you know, there, there is the anger, the frustration, the doubt, all those sort of things. Um, and how do I help them? I, I we talk it through. Um, we write, we write it through. You know, I, I want them to journal. And if you're angry with any person, write a letter to them. Don't send it. Just write it, and and you know, get what it is out. And and if you are feeling that. You know that they let you go pretty well. Let's unpack that. Don't don't store that in your unconscious and just leave it for another time because it will come back. You don't want to stay stuck. You know, some people you you meet twenty years after they've gone from BHP or whatever, they're still talking about it. They're stuck, and we don't want that. So we want we want to get it out. And if you are having thoughts around, you know, um, rejection, let's talk about it. Let's get it out. What is that for you? Yeah, that's great. Uh, yeah, the power of journaling. We get that truth down on paper, it gets out of our head and we can stop thinking about all of the possible scenarios that we invent in our head mm-hmm. We just make it truth. And the other part that I like to add to that is something I learned uh, some years back, which is then burn that bit of paper. Yes. Uh, not so because you don't want anyone to read it, but more as a ceremonial release so that you're, you're actually letting it go completely. Yeah, I love it. You said that you mentioned the GFC, and I'm sure many people that was a a time of great change. It was it was one of those for me, absolutely. It was one of those catalysts for change moments. Mm. The last two years, I imagine the amount of people who have gone through very similar experience, possibly more than what happened in around 2008, 2007, 2008. What advice would you give them if that's exactly what's going on for them? They're facing a, a career change of direction maybe they've had their whole sort of plans for the future ripped away from them how would you help them to navigate the first part of it 
dealing with the first part, which is like the shock and all those things you mentioned, the grief of it, and then how do you help them to go, okay, well, how do we get clarity here to move forward? Hmm. Um, so, yes, the, the last two years have, I mean, I've, called it, I've heard it called a lot, um, the great resignation. I'd, I'd call it the great reflection. You know, people are, they've been, they've had to reflect on where they're at, where they've been, where am I going? Um, and the positive of that, and I, again, you know, COVID's been horrific for so many people and um, so I don't want to minimise that. The positive of it is it's, it's caused people to stop. And, you know, people stop at whether it be redundancy or a relationship breakdown or a health scare or a death of a close one. They're the key moments that make people stop. And, you know, hopefully people haven't suffered, uh, you know, the loss of loved ones um, as a result of COVID, but, it, but it's, it's forced everyone to stop and to yeah. spend time at home and to work in different ways. So the, the positive of that um, is that people are thinking about it. And, and my, you know, my journey was 17 years and I hadn't in, in a career and I'd hardly thought about it. You know, and, it, and it's a pattern I see with, with people I coach. They just, so what do you enjoy about, your, what have you enjoyed about the last 20 years as an accountant? And you get silence. You're like, I don't, I don't know. They just yeah. don't stop. People are so busy. So I think that um, the positive of the COVID period is people are thinking about it. Um, so I just really encourage people to, okay, we'll, you know, do unpack that, but, but start, go through a process of inner work yourself. You know, some of the things we've been talking about, work out what you are naturally um, gifted in. You know, work out what you are interested most in. What do you love to do? What are the topics? What are you passionate about? And what, what really matters to you is the third thing. So they're the three things. And I'd encourage people to really reflect, do some inner work um, because <clears throat> there is no growth without that inner work. You know, if you think you can change career without stopping and, and doing some inner work, uh, I've got bad news for you. It's, it's just not going to happen. Yeah. Um, and, and through being blessed to coach, you know, I don't know, it's well over a 1,000 people through career change, the, the majority um, of people will try to solve that by looking on seek for the next job, you know, and that's just not the way to do it. It's kind of, kind of like people... Needle in a haystack. Try, needle in a haystack, people trying to get rich through lotto, you know. Good luck if it happens. <laughs> but yeah. there's another way. And the, the other, <clears throat> I call that outside in. You're trying to squeeze and fit yourself into a job that is online, okay? And 5% of it might be you. Um, but there's another way, and that's inside out. It starts with you really doing the inner work on um, your uniqueness, what is uniquely you, what are you naturally talented in, what are you really interested in, what motivates you. And um, start there and then write what is purpose for you. you know, write a purpose statement. What, are, what do you really want to contribute to the world? What's the impact you want to have? And then look at careers that, that match you. That's the inside-out approach. You're the designer of your career, not your organisation. Um, you are the designer. And um, so it's, it's, a, it's a contact sport, unfortunately. It takes you know, some, 
some nudging and some challenges and, and some questions that aren't easy. But um, that's what I would encourage people to do. Love that. So stop. Remember what you give, sir. Do the inner work. Attach to purpose. And the word that came to mind for me was, well, all of those things are helping you just to realize your value. And then mm. when you go into an interview, you're not having to embellish or, as you said, try and squeeze into the 5%. You can just go in there selling everything that you do well. And if that's mm. enough for what they want, then awesome. They'll find a way to fit you in. And if it's not, it's not the right place for you anyway. Absolutely. Yeah. Don't sell yourself, be yourself. And yeah. the quicker you can be yourself and say, can I just tell you who I am? I'm this type of person. This is what I value. And you, and you talk to them like that. And very quickly they'll say, we're exactly like that. Or they'll say, actually, I, I don't think this is going to be the right place for you. And you go, thanks very much. Really yeah. appreciate the honesty. That took three minutes 30. I'm uh, on to something, something else. And um, don't sell yourself. I mean, the, the more we, we try to sell ourselves and squeeze into a role, you know, it's, it just doesn't end well. Yeah, 100%. Now, in, you mentioned before around, you know, the, the tough couple of years and, uh, and it has been. Now, for you, you have lost people close to you and you did say it was okay to, to speak about this. So how have you dealt with that, losing people important <clears throat> to you in the, in the last little while? And what, again, through that lens of other people are going to be listening who have been through something similar and uh, <clears throat> whether it's your faith, everything you've learned or just what you managed to, to bring together in the moment, what's really helped you get through that? Mm. Yeah. Um, so Jan 17, 2020, um, my brother passed away at 38 of a heart attack. It was a complete shock to my family and I. A um, little over 12 months after that, my dad passed away from a combination of um, leukaemia, um, which he'd been fighting bravely uh, for a few years, um, and pneumonia. And um, so the combination of the two was, was too much for him. So, um, yeah, look, it's been, it's been incredibly hard um, is... is what it has been and, and um, you know, uh, it's something that is a process that continues to, to be there, um, a continue, continuing process that, that I'm working through. Um, you know, quite often I would walk the dog, speak to my brother, Mark, and then my dad or either or, and um, I quite often go for a walk and put my earpods in and, and I'll go, oh, yeah, I can't. I can't call them. Um, so, you know, there's that. Um, but look, for, for me, um, you, you, you miss them terribly. You get through the shock. Um, what, you know, my faith is, has taught me is that this is not the end. And, and that's what I believe. Um, yeah. And, you know, they were both uh, of faith as well. And so, you know, I'm, I'm, betting Jesus is right and that I'm going to see them again. So that is what I cling to. Um, and I know that's not for everyone, but, um, you know, for me, um, you know, people going through the that process, you know, I just, 
you know, I've been to funerals where people, um, you know, they don't have that faith and it's, and it's, and it's hard. It's really hard. So that's what I'm clinging to. Um, but uh, I think what, what helps as well, and my sister's just come back from, she's literally been in isolation in London for two years in a unit. And, um, you know, the amount of hugs that, that, you know, she's she's now grieving. She just started grieving really when she arrived in Australia a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, wow. And the hugs, the hugs and the, and the stories and the, the love and all of that that we had the benefit of um, really accelerates us down, down that grief process. And my sister Lisa is, is feeling that now. And, and you can feel that she's, she's down that process as well. Um, it's an ongoing process, isn't it? Eh? You, know, you know, and something that, um, you know, you continually want to honour. Um, you know, Dad passed away on the 24th, so last Sunday was, was an opportunity to, um, to honour him. And, and it's kind of like, you know, with these anniversaries, I, I think, you know, should I, feel, should I be in the corner crying? Should I be, what should I be feeling right now? The option I took is to take my sister Lisa to our church where we grew up where we were confirmed, where dad loved it. It was high church. We went there. Then we went to where we grew up in Rydalmere, walked the streets. It was such a beautiful honouring and yeah. felt that, that that was a proactive way of, you know, um, recognising dad um, and, um, you yeah, know, just got so much out of that. It was really special. So oh, that's I don't know if that man. answers the question, but... Um, oh, absolutely. And... To me, that there is so much comfort in in all of those things, and I know for me and my siblings, going back to um, well, my my grandma and grandfather's house, well, where my dad grew up, um, it's just so much comfort. And we often, you know, where we're in that part of town, we'll always drive through that street just to yeah. There's something about just returning to those joyful memories, the the environment that just takes us back there. And even if we can't do it physically, we can certainly do it from a uh from a mental and an emotional perspective so yeah i love that and and uh what a blessing that you can be there for your sister now and, and help her through what i can't imagine how tough that must be given that all that unfolded while she couldn't be here yeah oh it's been incredibly hard for lise but you know i, I don't know if this happened for you and when you went back to your old um where you grew up but for for us um I was talking to Lisa about this. When you look back on your youth, you, we all have issues when we're young, you know, like either bullying or moments that, and you can really blow them up like they're really that big. Yeah. And um, I remember walking down the street with Lisa and just going, how tiny is everything? You know, like I thought our street, I thought our street was like that, you know, <laughs> and I came off my bike and, and had this accident on my bike and I thought that it was because the road was like that. The road is a gentle undulation. Like, <laughs> seriously, um, our house, you know, is so tiny and it hasn't changed. And you go, it just minimises things that you can kind of in your past, you can build up as, you know, um, that's something that's, and you go, it's not really, it's it's not that big. And um, and so that, that's what, the, what happened for us. I don't know if that happened for you, but. Um, Absolutely. And uh, I was drawn to a, like, so my mum still lives in in the house where I grew up, which is awesome. Um, but I, I went walking with her going back a few months and we went through 
you know, the bush where he used to get up to all sorts of uh, shenanigans and then past uh, my, my bestie's mate, best mate growing up's place. And I, I message him straight after. I'm like, that's it's barely changed. And I'm like, it's so small. And exactly like you said, the steep hills. Um, and, you know, we used to climb through drain, drain pipes and all sorts of uh, crazy things that uh, we shouldn't have been doing. But, yeah, like it's the the – all of the negative melts away because you just remember yeah. the positive and and to me we can yeah like you said you can get caught in your head about all the the bad things there's nothing like taking that trip down memory lane to bring you back to what was most important it's really powerful and and you know the mind i think it, it the mind can do amazing things for good and amazing things for bad you know that that it can build up well that happened in your past and you can't move forward um you know, that's my experience anyway. I, and going back there really minimised a whole heap of things for me and um, but maximised the honouring of Dad, which was good. Yeah, awesome. I want to have a, another question just about your faith. So for me now with business, it's not just my creation. It's a co-creation with God, right? So so what do I mean by that for, for maybe those who don't have that sort of faith? It's like whether you want to call it your intuition, like the universe – higher power source however you like to put it it's connecting to something bigger than you and for me i literally go into meditation or prayer if you if you like to word it that way and i will ask specifically like for this particular part of the business what what is required right now mm-hmm. and if you sit as you said stop and mm-hmm. and just be quiet long enough you'll receive answers is that something that you have as part of your business does that just happen more organically or is it something you do intentionally um i do do it intentionally so um my morning and and this this is something that i really uh challenge people on is how they invest in their morning my morning um we're we're a family of swimmers so 4 a.m wake-ups is not uncommon and whilst that was you know people all do that you're like what are you crazy (laughs) um but um I've actually learned to love it. And between that that hour before, um, it's kind of that two-hour period before sunrise. And, you know, it, it's even if it's three, and it's rare that I'm up at three, but um, someone described it to me as, as um, talking to God. It can be sometimes a real congested highway because my mind is, stressed and worried about certain things and and it's just not getting through in those hours there is there is a massive highway and no one's on it and the clarity of discussion of of insight and ideas and and i'll be quite often i've I've, this is probably a better answer to your question you asked earlier what what do you get i i will get up and and i'll write things and ideas insights um problems to solve like solutions to problems I'll write it and sometimes I'll go back to bed and I will wake up and just go, what on earth is that? Because I could not come up with that, you know. Yeah. Um, so ideas, things that, that are, are clear, meditation in the morning. I'm not a great meditator. I, I, um, I do get distracted a lot, but I've got a whiteboard. You probably you see it there. There's a whiteboard. I, I have a whiteboard down here in, in the bunker um where where i i work most of the time and i'm down here and i'm i will meditate um i've got a 
uh, meditation app that I use and and just think about ideas and you know how I could help Leon Hawkins or you know how I could you know the program in the school that we're working with and ideas come and and I'm not that smart some of the you know I'm not that smart to come up with the ideas that I get so I do believe it's insight intuition um, <clears throat> and um, I really encourage people to you know, to really take control of their morning and be intentional about it and start their day. Okay, here's what I want to do today. Here are the ideas I want to pursue. Here's the conversations I want to have with different people and be clear about my purpose. Whereas most people start their day, they'll log on. The moment they log on, they've got 40 emails to respond to. It's everyone else's stuff coming at them and the stress starts. You know, it's it should be the other way around. You you know, if you claim your morning and be intentional about it and clear about what's most important, then you're the one that's that's the you're serving. You know, um, and you're going to have to respond, but it'll be in your time. You respond to people in your time, but be intentional, and that's what it means to live on purpose, in my view. Yeah, I love that, and that way you're able to take self control. And you're not being driven by other people's day, but you, you've been driven by your own self journey, which uh, to me is so powerful. Yep. You mentioned something then, and that, that made me think. This is this is a question like the the link between flow and and a higher power. And so, to me, I, I, exactly like you described, I've written things like you know, Facebook gives you the memories, and it and it will show something, and I'll look back and go. Did I write that, or is that something I shared from someone else? Because I'm like, I don't know where that came from. Yeah, but even yeah. now, I get those where I'm like, oh, I'll just I'll just start writing what comes out. But that's that's that that inner part of us that mm. it's just so magic. So, what's two two part question? Where do you find your flow? And mm-hmm. yeah, like, is that something you've thought about that that uh, God and flow connection? Yes. Um, I have. I've not seen it written about, Ian, but I, I totally believe it. Mainly because, so the science, <clears throat> there's a guy called Stephen Kotler, who, um, amazing scientist who's really researching the neuroscience of flow and what actually happens. Yeah. And um, what was originally thought of when people are in flow um, is that they're deeply focused, everything else is shut out, time is changing. They're performing their best. They're feeling the best. All these things are happening. So the brain must be completely lit up like a Christmas tree and really, you know, on maximum overdrive, so, you know, there's steam coming out of it and everything like that. It's the reverse. There are, the majority of the parts of the brain are shutting down. And the, the um, parts of the brain, it's, um, it's called transient hyperfrontality if people want to look it up. But the main parts of, you know, where the part of the brain where, you know, time exists, you know, like I'm, I'm running late, um, yeah. self-consciousness, you know, how do I look in this shirt? You know, um, am I going to say make a mistake? All of those parts, the inner critic, shut down. And so what you're left with is just your natural abilities and focus in the moment to be instinctive in what you're doing. To me, that is God saying, you know, you're in this state for a reason. I'm trying to tell you something. And, um, 
you're at your best doing this. This is what I want you to do. This is the purpose that I've, I've made for you. And, you know, and, and I ask people about their greatest talents and I'll go, who taught you how to do that? And they'll go, no one. So how, who gave it to you? How do you have it? Like, go, I, I don't know. I don't know what you're talking about. I, it, it's, and so there's something there, you know, I, I haven't seen anyone written about it, written anything about it, but to me, flow points to your purpose. That's yeah. how to, to know your purpose. Maybe you should read a bit more of my stuff. No, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, um, oh, caught me out, mate. You caught me out. I need to. No, but back to Steve Kotler. Steve Kotler, because um, The Rise of Superman for me was just such a transformational book. But I don't know if you've read Stealing Fire, where he talks about over history, humans' fascination with the altered states. Yeah. And to me, altered states is just connecting you to God, right? Like, yep. and, and so it's talking about early days, it was through dance and, and sound. So like, you know, sticks or whatever musical instruments. Um, uh, and, then, and then our quest for these altered states that have, that have gone on from eating some berry that might give us that to, mm. to um, you know, everything that we now, now know around um, people trying to detach. There's, there's, to me, they're just, a, it's, a, it's a, they're all tools to help you find more of that connection. Mm. Yeah, oh, look, I agree. I think um, people are seeking it in different ways that, that aren't helpful. And, and that's the early morning is that you're, you're just out of sleep. So your, your, your um, brain is, is in this semi-trance kind of state. And that's why. Yeah. Uh, and then so to answer your question about what gets me in flow, um, thinking, uh, ideating, uh, reading. The moment I read or, or listen to a podcast, ideas come and I don't know how they come, but it'll be an input and then it'll be an idea and that's why I've got whiteboards. So for me, flow is generating ideas, capturing those ideas and, and trying to help people with them. That's that's really what flow is for me. Yeah, beautiful, big picture. Uh, it strikes me that in this sort of environment that it's a real natural flow for you too. So is that... Is that uh, does that help you with your work? Like, are you presenting to to a large group, and you you really tap into that state of flow there as well? Uh, when I'm presenting, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, <clears throat> presentations I, I find um, almost, and my experience was, if I'm presenting on something I'm not passionate about, I struggle. And you know, with at. at in my previous role, I was not a good presenter. In fact, I was incredibly nervous. I would um, almost choke sometimes. But um, but I believe it's because I wasn't in an area that I was deeply passionate about. When people find their yeah. passion, um, there'll be moments that people have stood up for something and spoken out and they have just given something and everyone goes, wow, you know, everyone has that in them. Um, it's just that we've got to present um, or share our ideas uh, in an area of passion. You know, I think that's ac actually key. So, um, yeah, if I'm presenting, I I'll tap into passion. I'll tap into purpose. Why am I doing it? There could be one person in the crowd that this could change their life, and that's the sort of things that that I think of when I'm when I'm talking. So, yeah. brilliant. Um, if you've got time, I'd like to ask you one more question. Yeah, of course, we've gone a bit yeah. over. Yeah. Um, you, you help people find what's next for them when they come to that 
pivotal moment in their life. Mm. You're already doing the work that you're doing. So you mentioned it's career and leadership and team. Yeah. What's next for you? Um, so what's next for me is, is um, the, the program that uh, we've, we've had in schools for a few years. That's, that's what I'm most passionate about. So helping kids in school. So what it is for people is um, starting in year seven, um, helping kids actually through, through their high school journey understand um, re- and really connecting with who they are uh, we call it the SIM program um, or my design program, but the SIM is the model we use. So what, what you know, every student is unique, like a SIM in a mobile phone. So you, what are your strengths? What are your interests? What are your motivation? Helping kids to understand that um, we believe uh, can change lives. Uh, you know, the confidence that kids have, the direction, the clarity. We want every single student to leave high school um, clear on who they are and the direction that they want their life to head. Um, and so, you know, that's, that's what's next is, is getting this program um, in schools, as many schools across Australia and, and hopefully beyond um, because we don't want the pattern that we see to continue and that, that pattern can look like, you know, uh, students thinking I'm going to go and do law or medicine or this. They, they go to uni, they don't like it, they drop out and they think that they're no good as a result. Um, and that's just not true. <clears throat> so we want to help kids to understand um, how to be the designers of, of their, their future and, and what the inside-out approach looks like. Um, starts with you um, identifying what purpose is and then having multiple careers, um, you know, entrepreneurial, side hustles, whatever, you name it in the direction of your purpose um, and that that increases the ability for, for people to navigate um, confidently and competently for the future. So that's that's what's next for me. Um, uh, so, yeah, we, we're um, really keen on that and I've got um, a couple of amazing, talented people I'm working with to, to you know, really get that into schools on a bigger scale. So that's what's next. That really excites me, and I think back to my journey. I'm like, I would have really loved that at that age. I was like that too. I don't know what I want to be when I grow up, and and they were still having that conversation, you know, up until late thirties. Like I don't know. I used to joke with people. I'll, I'll let you know once I know. So for uh, my thoughts are drawn to you know we talked before about the pandemic. For any, if anyone's at that point and they're thinking, well, it's time for change, or they've started the change, like. You know, we're both an example of going through that moment back in the yeah. GFC that, yeah, you don't know all the answers, but if you make a commitment that you want things to be different, then you can absolutely find your way. And to me, you're such an inspiration or, and proof of that being possible. So if anyone needs any more uh, motivation or inspiration or guidance on that, then, yeah, highly recommend speaking to Rich. He's, it was certainly a big moment for me. Um, I'd also just want to include, I, I love that. That's so, the, the, the simplicity of that acronym SIM, strength, interest, motivation, and how each SIM is unique. Uh, man, that's beautiful. And, and, and connecting children to purpose from a young age, that's, yeah, I, I can see that being a real game changer in the uh, education 
area of education for for teens, mate. So congratulations on that. And where can people find you if they want to find out more about what it is that you do? They're, they're looking. They're at that point where looking for a change of direction. Yeah, um, innerzone.com.au. Um, they can. Uh, my details are there. So innerzone. Um, you can see it on the screen. That that's the spelling. Com.au. Um, so yeah, it's. Um, I'd uh, love, to, love to help people and uh, um, right back at you as well, Ian, in terms of what you're doing with people, mate. And, um, you know, doing a podcast is has come across my mind as well, but it takes serious work and the, your commitment to doing it, not only, you know, um, getting guests on, but doing what you do, you know, five times a week, I think you're doing it. It's, it's amazing. So uh, well done to you and you're putting so much into it and people benefit. So um, thanks. I appreciate that, mate. It's it's probably not as work, much work as it seems. Might be a conversation I might give you a few tips. Because <laughs> <laughs> you've already mentioned, right? The ideas are there. You're already getting the ideas. Yeah, that's right. So I've literally got two pages of ideas to talk about, so I won't run out of things to to, to talk about. Uh, but I appreciate that, mate. I really do, and I, I thank you for your time. I know you're a busy man, and and for you sharing your wisdom. I thank you again. That's been awesome. Great talking to you, Ian. And um, thanks for the opportunity. Welcome. See you, mate. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Grief Code podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Please share it with a friend or family member that you know would benefit from hearing it too. If you are truly ready to heal your unresolved or unknown grief, let's chat. Email me at info at ianhawkinscoaching.com. You can also stay connected with me by joining the Grief Code community at ianhawkinscoaching.com forward slash the grief code. And remember, so that I can help even more people to heal, please subscribe and leave a review on your favorite podcast platform.